Father. And, um, you know, it's an it's a amazing blessing. This morning I want to talk about fathers that leave tracks. And I know that that's kind of a wintry scene. Um, we're going to be traveling to Oregon sometime uh, tomorrow. And so I know that uh, they're probably not experiencing this right now. But uh, tracks are uh, something that you can definitely see. And really, when I think about that, tracks tell a story. When you see tracks either in dirt or, or in snow, you, you know they tell a story. They leave a message for us to interpret. And, um, you know, a hunter, the, the tracks of an animal give a hunter information about uh, the size or, or the, the type of animal or, or even how many. And, I mean, a lot of different things you can learn from the tracks of an animal. You know, the tracks of a car on a rural dirt road. They indicate the particular turns and curves uh, toward a destination point. But you know, fathers leave tracks too. And when I, when I say fathers this morning, ladies, don't tune out. Okay? Really what I'm saying is leaders. Okay? And, and we are all leaders in, 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 in some aspect of that word. Because people are watching us. And so when I, when I talk about fathers this morning, recognize that it, it's, it's all of us that, that, that people are watching. And we all leave tracks. You know, sometimes a father's tracks reveal a zigzag story of broken dreams and, you know, ruined aspirations. Sometimes his tracks leave clear outlines of personal fulfillment and vocational achievement. For good or for ill, fathers leave lasting impressions stamped into the life soil, the, the landscape of their children. See, our chapter this morning in God's Word is a distressing chapter. And there are some more chapters like it that follow. And what I want you to understand is this, is that wickedness of monumental proportions in the house of God. We're happening, and, and as we examine God's Word this morning, we're going to look at God's reaction to what was going on. A bit later, I'm going to ask you to examine something else, and specifically to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. See, I, I think this is important because as we lay this down, as we look at, at what God's Word says... I think this is important. We live in an age and a society where, it, where sin is lightly thought of. Sin is not taken the way it used to be. It's not taken the way God's Word approaches it. And, 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 and we, we think that, that we know better that, that sin is so lightly thought of in our society and God is a God who easily forgives because that's His business. Because that's what he's supposed to do. He's rich in mercy and his loving kindness lasts forever. And we take advantage of that. We take that for granted. But understand, that's not the way that Scripture views it. We need to have our worldview and our view of Almighty God shaped by God's own self disclosure of who he is we're going to read today about some sin that was going on in the tabernacle we're going to read about that and we're going to see God's response to that 
I want to, I want to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And um, I'm going to read down from 12 through uh, 22. And if you have your, your, your scripture and you would open up to that, uh, read along with me. God's word says this. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And they did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people. So they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know the custom of the priests. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling and a three-pronged, with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, then they, as much as you desire, then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force." Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And his mother, who would make him a little robe and bring it uh, to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah, and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went uh, to their, home, their own home. The Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Loving Father, I pray that you would guide us as we look into your word. I pray, Father, that your, your truth would just sink into our hearts. Father, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide and would lead us into all truth. Truth about ourselves, truth about our families, truth about who we are, Father, before you. Lord, I ask that you would guide us. I pray you, that your Holy Spirit would just fill us and use us. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is a distressing chapter. You read about this, and the writer of Samuel, he observed the, the steps and the, I want to say, the tracks, if you will, of Eli. And he recorded the success and the failure of a father with his son. Now remember, Eli was a priest at Shiloh. Shiloh was a place where they worshipped the Lord, where the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were there. And he was a judge of Israel. He judged Israel for 40 years. And he became Samuel's guardian after Hannah brought her son to the temple. 
And when God spoke to Samuel, it was Eli who told him, go, tell, say, say Father, your servant is listening. Speak. So uh, he was the one that told Samuel how to respond to the Lord. But what I want you to see is that Eli was an indulgent father with two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who also served as priests in Shiloh. And both were wicked and both blasphemed God and were allowed to act in most disgraceful ways. But remember what it said in Scripture. They did not know the Lord. Consider that. They didn't know the Lord. That was the issue. And they took what they wanted rather than what was offered. They were supposed to just kind of have a potluck, so to speak. Stick the fork into the, into the pot where the, the meat was boiling and whatever came up was what the priest got. That was their portion. But they said that wasn't good enough. They said, no, we want it before you boil it. We want to roast it ourselves. And this was not something that was done. And so they were taking what they wanted rather than what was offered. They were abusing the people who brought their offerings to the Lord. See, the doorway of the tent of meeting has a very big significance for the house of Israel. It's the place where God meets with the Levitical priests and the place where God reveals His glory. It was there that Aaron and his sons were consecrated. They were, they were set apart for their priestly service. And now, not many years later, this becomes the very uh, different kind of meeting place, where a place where Eli's sons rendezvous with the women with whom they will commit sexual adultery. They're using it as a, as a place for sexual immorality. The temple, the worship center at Shiloh is rocked by scandal. A priest sexual scandal. So what's new? What's new? I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, don't you dare look at this passage with hypocrisy. This passage could be written today in churches today. I mean, what's shocking is that Shiloh is where Hannah left her little boy, her, her three or four year old little boy, and I'm not sure how much Hannah knew what was going on in Shiloh, although the text seems to say that all of Israel knew what was going on in Shiloh, and if she knew, it is a further evidence of her remarkable faith in God that God could take care of her son even in such a wicked place. Think about that. That even with all the wickedness around us, God can still take care of his children. Although Eli rebuked his sons, they didn't listen. And as a result, there was moral corruption and God warned Eli of the downfall of his house. You know, this last spring, I lost a limb off my peach tree. 
And uh, it got blowing in the wind and the, 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 the branch just fell over. And I was really bummed about it because that's a fruit-bearing tree and I like fruit. And uh, I went out there one morning and it was laying on the ground just like that. But here's what I discovered. That fungus growth in a tree is usually undetected for a long time. The tree just continues to grow and everything seems right outwardly. But when the crash suddenly comes, the real condition of the tree is seen. My point is, is that corruption had taken over my tree from the inside. And corruption had taken over Israel from the inside. And Israel had been sinning for a long time. It may not have been seen, but all of Israel knew what was going on in Shiloh. But remember, we sin because we are sinners. Not we are sinners because we have sinned. We sin because we are sinners. Eli's tracks were noticeable in three parental capacities, and I want to share those with you this morning. The first one is paternal concern, the concern of a father. You know, when the message reached Eli about his son's immorality, verse 23 says that he was, con- he was deeply concerned. He said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? He was deeply concerned, but unfortunately his concern rose a little too late. Because the scripture indicates that he was already very old. He was already old. (laughs) And that his sons would not listen to him. Fatherly or paternal concern must begin early. It must begin early in the lives of these little ones. Being able to, to have a, a say and a concern in their life and, and, and follow a consistent pattern as children mature. Because if you wait till they're an adult to teach them and to tell them what they know and to show that you care, then you've waited too long. That's what Eli did. He waited too long. While we might praise Eli's concern during this hour of crisis... We must also lament his prior neglect. I mean, why should his sons listen in his old age if he had not earned their ears many years before? I mean, no no doubt Eli was a successful man and a popular priest. And somewhere along the line, he, he failed to model a lifestyle that produced respect from and within his own family. See, this can be a problem. If I share the gospel and win the whole world, but I lose my own family, what have I done? See, that family is my first responsibility. And it's your first responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ. So while we're busy doing and going, let's not forget those who are within our own home. Because that's really where the the rubber meets the road, so to speak. That's where the proof is in the pudding, is what are you doing in home? Not what are you doing around the world. 
but what are you doing at home? Folks, that's important stuff. It radically, that, that radically famous poet named Anonymous, he penned some penetrating lines for modern day Eli's. He said, I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street, and I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had, but I've got to give my best as a little child's dad. See, these harmful influences that are clamoring for our child's attention these days, our youth, drugs, Pornography. Oh, they're eagerly willing to show concern to our little ones. Dozens of agents of degeneration will take the, take the time of intense concern as well. And it's completely essential for fathers to demonstrate now the love and the concern so necessary for the formation of biblical values. Dad... We need you to show up and we need you to be there. We need you to, to, to pull the Bible out and we need you to be the man. We need you to stand for God in the home and in the world and in the workplace. Look around. Our country is in dire straits and we need some men who are called by the Lord Jesus to stand and face the times. We need men who we can lock arms with. See, another parental capacity is personal courage. Where's the courage in this land? See, our courage comes from the Lord Jesus. We want to live any which way we want. A father prepares his children for the trials and the temptations of life's journey. Now, obviously, Eli could not make decisions for his sons. But we wonder if he exercised enough courage to warn them about the perils of gluttony and sexual immorality. You see, Phinehas, if we read in chapter 4, verse 19, Phinehas was married, and yet he was laying with the women at the doorway of the tent of meetings. I mean, why was Eli reluctant to challenge his son's behavior? Maybe he didn't fully comprehend their evil activity. But the evidence in chapter 3, verse 13, says, For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Because he's about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. <laughs> Scripture tells us that Eli knew about his son's iniquity. And that term in the Hebrew, he knew, is the term yada. Yada. Yada, yada, yada. I know, I know, I know. But that term means to be fully aware of 
or to know from experience. It's the same term that is used in Genesis when it talks about Adam knew his wife. He knew, he was fully aware, he knew from experience. What it's saying is that Eli knew what his sons were up to and the tense of the verb implies that Eli had known for some time about his son's activities. He knew what was going on. He didn't call him out on it. He didn't say it was wrong. He didn't make them make amends. You see, God was angry at him because he lacked courage to stand against them. And personal courage is a required quality for a father. Especially in our world. Personal courage. Winston Churchill, he claimed that courage is the virtue that makes other virtues possible. You may remember, and I'm kind of dating myself, the Oscar award winning movie Chariots of Fire back in 1981. Some of you have never seen it, I understand. There's contained in it a scene in which the Olympic athlete, Eric Little, he was, he was refused to run in the 100-yard dash because the Olympic committee had those trial heats on Sunday. And he was a religious person, he was a person of faith, and he didn't believe it was right to exercise and, and to do that on Sunday. And so his commitment and his convictions about the Lord's Day to keep, it, keep the Sabbath holy it was backed up by undaunting courage. And so he decided that he would not run. And he stopped by the stadium to watch the event, and a companion noticed some apprehension on his face. And, and he leaned over and he asked him if he had any regrets about his courageous decision. And this is what he said. He said, regrets, yes, but no doubts. Regrets, yes, but no doubts. Sometimes a father regrets that his decisions are so difficult to make and so misunderstood. But if he is morally right, he should have no doubts about his courageous stance. Men, we need men with personal courage. We need fathers who will stand and do, right, do what's right no matter the consequences. We also need practical correction. See, discipline is as much an attitude as it is an action. The reason many fathers don't discipline their children is that they cannot discipline themselves. Dr. James Dobson explained that if a child finds an undisciplined area of a parent's life, they will use that as a point of control. See, if the right attitude is absent, if it's not there then the action becomes ineffective. When Eli's sons satisfied their gluttonous appetites and disregarded the holiness of the sacrifice, I know I'm plowing close to the corn, were they following the tracks of an undisciplined father? Did the absence of correction from the father push the sons along the downward course? Well, he's not saying anything, so it must be okay. It must be all right because he's not acting upon it. He's not disciplining us over it. 
See, the concluding portion of Scripture in, in, in Samuel uh, 3, 1 Samuel 3, 13, the end of that verse says, because this, his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. He didn't restrain his sons. Maybe he had been so busy advising, correcting, counseling others that he failed to consistently discipline himself and his own family. See, I happen to believe that Eli was not a disciplined man himself. In chapter 4, it says that he was very heavy. He was overweight. It says that he, he was old and he was overweight. <laughs> See, when, when baseball great Dale Murphy, he was asked what contributions his father made to his career, he said this. He said, the great thing my dad provided me was himself. If Eli had involved himself in the lives of his sons, maybe the ending of the story would have been a pleasant one. Maybe the tracks would have pointed to a joyful destination. But you see, until children are perfect and parents are faultless, practical correction, personal courage, and paternal concern will be necessary for the security and the success of our homes. We need those three things. And those three things are what Eli did not have. But you see, the tracks will tell the story. Eli failed miserably as both a father and a priest. He knew God, and still God pronounced judgment upon him and his descendants. Chapter 2, verse 30 says this, Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and your house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Eli despised the Lord. He didn't honor the Lord. Verse 35 says, But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Eli was an unfaithful priest. So how did Eli despise the Lord? How was Eli unfaithful as a priest? And both of those questions have their answer in a common problem. And I want you to hear very clearly, this is my point this morning. Eli was a passive father. Eli was a passive father. Speaking of Eli, God said in verse 13... Excuse me, chapter 3, verse 13. He said, For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. 
In chapter 2, verse 29, Eli, Eli not only tolerated his son's sins, but he also participated in it by eating the portion of sacrifices that were intended for the Lord. Look at verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat? He's talking to Eli. By making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel. But Eli didn't correct his sons. Not really. In effect, he said, now boys, you shouldn't be doing these things. People are talking. I hear what they're saying. Too little, too late. A good man? Yes, very good. But he didn't have enough backbone to stand up against his sons and to say, we're not going to tolerate your sin around here. See, this applies today. Being passive as a father towards the things of God will damage you and your family. Just so there's no confusion, I want you to hear what I have to say about being passive. What is passive? Being passive means having religion without reality. Oh, Eli was immersed in religion. He worked at the tabernacle. He lived there. But the reality of Eli walking with God was not present in Eli's life. Eli was tolerant of personal and family sin, but was harsh on the sins of others. You remember when Eli thought that Hannah had been drinking and he scolded her? But when his own sons were committing adultery at the door of the tabernacle, it wasn't until the worshipers started complaining that Eli came out with his feeble, Now boys, people are talking. Don't do that around here. And as for the son's corrupt practice of confiscating the sacrifices and eating the best parts, those parts which should have been offered to the Lord, <laughs> Eli knew he shouldn't eat those choice pieces. But he loved prime rib. They said, well, let's, we're supposed to burn the fat to the Lord. They said, you give it to me now. Or I'll take it by force. See, anytime a person grows soft on obedience to the word of the Lord, you know that they're just playing the religion game. When you're not obeying God, you've lost reality. And nothing corrupts children more than to see a parent who has a form of religion who lacks the reality of God in their life. Who is not spending time with God. Who doesn't care about the things of God. Who wants to do anything and everything they want to do. Rather than pleasing God. But we call ourselves Christian. See. Kids know. When you're putting on the holy act. They know it. 
and they see right through it. See, being passive means shirking responsibility for shepherding your family. See, Eli's boys were grown men. And maybe, maybe Eli shrugged his shoulders and, and, and he said, well, what can I do? But folks, understand, God is holding Eli accountable. Because he's the shepherd in that home. God held him accountable instead of drifting with the evil currents of his day. He should have taken the helm. He should have taken the steering wheel. And he should have said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need some men. We need some fathers to do that today. You see, Eli let his family drift. Chances are that he acted the same way when the boys were younger. Men, if you don't take responsibility for shepherding your own family, God will hold you accountable. And if you find that scary, you should. It's an awesome responsibility that God has given us to shepherd our family. Real quickly, I want to give you some application, then I'll be done. First thing is this. Lead your children to personal faith in Jesus Christ. This passage starts out and it says, Eli's sons did not know the Lord. You can't just let your children grow up and stay lost without Christ. Talk with them about it. Share with them. Guide them in that. Because they're growing up in a world that is hostile toward God. It's our job to teach them the things of the Lord. Teach your children God's ways. Eli failed to instill in his sons a respect for God's ways, including the sacrifices and the offerings. So they disobeyed God and they disregarded the rebukes of God's people. Even God's people said, that's not the way it happens. And they said, we're going to do it our way no matter what. And if you don't like it, we'll take it by force. They disregarded God's people. See, God's ways are the principles revealed in his word. For example, your children need to understand that disobedience comes with consequences. There are consequences that come with disobedience. They need to understand the importance of daily being in prayer and reading God's word. They need to understand that we live to serve others, not indulge ourselves. They need to understand that our lives are governed by God's word. This is truth. And according to how we live this is whether or not we are pleasing in God's sight. I get that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But we are called to live a separated life in this world. And that looks different from the rest of the world. See, to shepherd your family, you must teach your children to reverence God and the things of God. I don't ever want to hear my kids. I don't ever want my kids to hear me, excuse me, joking about God. Or his word. To me it's a serious matter. 
It's not something that I make light of. Because once we start making light of something, it's just a, a real quick step to taking it out and not taking it seriously. I want them to know that a Christian home is a fun and happy place to live. But I don't want to do that at the expense of diminishing God and and His Word in any way. Lastly, I would say this. Correct your children when they need it. I mean, raising kids is kind of like holding a wet bar of soap. You know, a firm grasp and it shoots out. It's too loose a grip and it's just going to slide away. But the gentle but firm grip keeps things in control. And here's the deal. We can't take credit for all the good that our children do. Nor should we take all the blame when things go wrong with our children. It's entirely possible that children raised in a very godly home can turn out like Eli's sons did. But the point of our text is that Eli fails to deal with his sons because they are his sons. And he allows that one fact to outweigh all the rest. Verse 29 says, You honor your sons more than me. Folks, that's idolatry. That's putting our children above God. And it still happens in 2019. See, for us as parents, the starting point is to give our children up. I mean, our Lord says that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Him. If we're going to save our life, we have to give our life up. We have to do the same thing with our children. I understand more and more why the great test of Abraham's faith was being willing to sacrifice his son. And folks, we must be willing to do the same thing. To give our children to the Lord. See, I believe the story of Hophni and Phinehas should remind us of this aspect of God's character That part of God's character is that he has a holy wrath against sin. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, all that awaits you is the judgment. The judgment of God against your sin forever. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus paid our penalty. He paid our sin debt when he died on the cross for us. We didn't deserve it. It's amazing grace. But when we accept that sacrifice for our sin, then in God's eyes, we are justified. When he sees us, he sees the blood of his son covering us. It's as if when we stand before Almighty God and we're being judged for our sin, when we have accepted Christ as the payment for our sin, what God sees is his righteous son standing there before him. Not my sin that is as filthy rags. Folks, that's a beautiful thing. That's the good news. 
And that's what we as believers have in common. So if you've never done that, all I can say is you need to do that. You need to come before the Lord and you need to say, I'm a sinner. I don't want justice. I want his grace and his mercy in my life. See, Jesus said it this way. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a great God we serve. What an awesome Father we have. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you challenge us and what you speak to us through it. I pray, Father, that in the time that remains, our time together, that you would just examine our heart, Holy Spirit, that you would show yourself mighty. Father, if there is areas where we've given over ground to the enemy, that we would take those back. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me and for all of us. And I pray that you would help us to acknowledge that your sacrifice is enough. I pray, Father, that you would just guide us as we have a time of response, a time of invitation. And Father, that you would guide us to your, to your throne. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.